Welcome to the XY Advisor Podcast, a global community of financial advisors sharing and learning with one another to drive the positive evolution of financial advice. To get involved, go to xyadvisor.com or simply download the XY Advisor app. First Centier Investors are a global asset management group managing $247.3 billion of assets as of the 30th September 2021. They have 17 independent teams operating across equities, fixed income, listed and direct infrastructure and multi-asset, led by principles of responsible investment and stewardship. They are home to FSSA Investment Managers, an Asian and global emerging markets equities investor. Stuart Investors, a pioneer in emerging market equities and sustainable investing, and Real Index Investments, a systematic equities manager. Welcome back to the XY Advisor Podcast. I'm Fraser Jack, and today I'm joined by Rachel O'Connor. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Well, should I say welcome back to the podcast? You were on a couple of years ago. I was, yeah. I was about two, probably two and a half years ago with Ben Nash. Yes, yes. One of the uh, one of the early series that we did, I think, on plan, produce and profit, by, the, by, the, by memory. Sounds familiar, yeah. There you go. There you go. Um, well, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, I, I think we, we might actually start going back in time. Actually, let's start with your business now. Tell us about your business now. Just explain what you've got. Uh, so, um, two and a half years ago, I started my business, Flarex Wealth. Um, I work mostly with um, women, basically, helping women to manage their money and feel in control of their money and in control of their lives as a result. Wonderful. Now, we'll get into that in a, bit, in a moment, but uh, let's go back in time. Uh, you, you may have mentioned it last time in the podcast, but just tell us about your journey into advice. Yeah, so I started as an accountant. Um, I was encouraged by my dad to become an accountant. Um, he's an accountant. And um, started working as an accountant and uh, realised pretty quickly that it wasn't um, where my interest lay. Um, I f- found that I is probably more backwards looking um, and the firm I was at had a financial advice and investment advice um, team. So, I had the opportunity to move into a different team and, and found that that was um, more interesting to me personally. It's interesting the um, the, the, the parents have such a big say in this and I, I'm a parent of, a, of, a, of an 18 year old so I feel like I've got to have a say in it too um, but there's so many I talk to um, people from the universities they say that these students love financial advice and then they go away and their semester and they come back and they go and oh, no, I'm choosing accounting because uh, their parents have said to them no you have to be an accountant yeah it's it's uh, it really is one of those things that um, uh, I guess people just in general don't really get financial advice yeah I I, I think it probably doesn't have nearly the same I guess, reputation, you know, accountant, doctor, lawyer, these are all professions that everyone knows, teacher, all the others, you know, whereas a financial advisor, I think you have to actually explain what you do to most people that you talk to. What does financial advice mean? Exactly. Now, now tell us about that journey for you then when you first became an advisor. Uh, So, I started as an investment advisor. So, I worked in a firm that specialised in self-managed super funds and I did the investment advice. Um, that was a process. I was there for about six years um, and in that time the firm turned more towards in-house products um, which I gradually became, when I first started there was sort of an asset allocation with a 
selection of products in in every category and and some were in-house and some were not and then it morphed into being almost exclusively in-house products and um, I decided that I should probably move on at that point yep yep and you've been there a while so so uh, what was the what was the stepping stone for you then so then I moved to um, a Fitzpatrick's private wealth um, more boutique financial advice firm I'm jumped from investment advice only to really holistic financial advice with that um, with that uh, advisor that I was working for there and um, he was he had a, a business that he had been running for 20 years he had um, a book of clients that adored him um, and still do adore him and um, you know they bring him cakes and just really a really nice place to work and um, and really good quality advice I felt like um, very much about you know what's what's the situation and how can we help you solve it? Um, and that was yeah, that was really nice. It was a, about I think there were maybe like eighty or ninety clients. Him as the principal, myself as the advisor, and then another um, team member as well who was backing us up. And it was it was nice. It yeah, was really wonderful. Good. Were you the were you the succession plan? I'm using uh, you know inverted commas here. Um, no, I don't think I was. I would have liked to have been. And I basically I think. Uh, when I had my kids, I, I I would have liked to have been the succession plan, but it, I think, and fair enough, now I know what goes into building a business. He wasn't prepared to hand it over despite my enthusiasm. And yeah, now as I've started something from scratch myself, I, I probably understand that perspective a lot more. Yep. Um, but then, yeah, I had, um, had my two kids and came, you know, the, the idea of running the show had been planted in my mind and I could see how nice that could be and um, so yeah a couple of um, fairly close together stints of maternity leave um, maternity leave keeps your hands very busy but your mind is often idle yep. and so yep. I was able to think through a lot of um, what I wanted to do next and so that was where that came from so give you a chance to to do some planning did you work yeah. during maternity like as in were you like they 12 months since or did you have I did um, uh, six months with each uh, with each of my boys. Um, in the six months that I did uh, with my first, I also did the CFP final subject, so it wasn't as much of a break as it probably should have been. And then in the six months off with my second, I planned the business. Yeah, because so I probably should have given myself a bit more. Of sounds a break like you had plenty of spare time with two two young <laughs> young kids around. It's usually uh, usually a fairly busy time. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty intense. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you planned your business out, and then then where did you start it straight away, or did you go back to work? Uh, no, after my second, um, I came back from maternity leave into um, starting the business. So yeah, wow, yeah. So, so maternity leave, starting a business from scratch. Tell us yeah. about that moment. Uh, so yeah, my youngest was six months old. My eldest was two. Um, I started the business with zero clients. Yeah, I had this idea that it would enable me to have like balance and this lifestyle and that I'd be able to keep it under control and the reality was the exact opposite as I think most people, you know, I, I basically I was pretty naive going into it and I think that's that's that's, that's brilliant. Yeah, exactly. It is absolutely brilliant to be to not um to have uh, not listen to any have any voices in your head that are, uh, yeah. that, are that are putting out the flame. Yeah. Um, I'm glad I did it though. So where did you start? What licensee were you with then? I've been with Madison since the beginning. So you were able to start a business with no clients. With Madison. And, and two young kids. Yeah. Uh, that's, it's almost a, 
it's unheard of these days. So it's a it's a it's a kind of a good story. Um, uh, someone I knew in the industry introduced me to Anik, who was the CEO of Madison, and um, she also this person I knew in the industry also gave me the names of a couple of other people to talk to, other dealer groups to talk to, um, and I was having these conversations while I was pregnant with my second. Um, and I met Anique, um, as it turned out, two days before I had my baby. So I was heavily pregnant and um, pitching this idea to Anique that I was going to start a business in six months. I was just going to quickly have this baby and then um, get on with the job. And um, she she backed me. Uh, she she gave me a chance and she gave me some really good advice. And she's, she there were a few things that she was like, you need to fix this, you need to fix this, you need to fix this. Um, you need to come back and talk to me again when, um, you know, once you've had the baby because things can change and, um, yeah, but I, I did and I got back in touch with her and she, yeah, she gave me a, a shot at it and, uh, yeah, made it made it possible, made it, made, gave me an opportunity to, to get a few clients before the costs started crushing me. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's exactly right because the costs, uh, the costs are immediate for the licensee. Yes. Uh, so it's almost an investment in yeah. you. Yeah, it was very generous. Yeah, yeah, wonderful, good story. And yeah. uh, okay, so so tell us about those first few clients. How did you get them? Uh, so first, uh, first one or two were a referral f- referrals from an accountant who's um, a friend and um, plays touch footy with my husband, and so um, that was uh, yeah very um, helpful. Yep, got me going. Um, I did some speaking early on as well with a group called Ladies Finance Club. Um, and what their mission is to, you know, educate and empower women with their finances. And so they were running events um, and basically I did a few, one, you know, investing 101 type presentations and they were an awesome opportunity. Like they were, um, you know, uh, this friend of mine, Molly, who um, runs Ladies Finance Club, she's got like a marketing and events background and she could fill a room and create a vibe and create a buzz and then I'd jump up and do the investment stuff, <laughs> try not to kill the buzz. And, um, and yeah, and so, yeah, that's where my next sort of few clients came from and it's kind of gone from there. So was Ladies Finance Club, a, uh, was she was Molly a coach or? Uh, no, Molly started the business. Be- I, I, my understanding is Molly started it because she knew nothing about money but was working in kind of in marketing in financial um, companies yep. in London and didn't know what they were talking about so she got together with some girlfriends to try and figure it out and then that kind of gathered some momentum and they were like actually there's a lot of people trying to figure this stuff out and so then she started putting on events in London and then she moved back here and now she does events in Sydney as well. Wow amazing and and you stumbled across her or how did you find her? We were we I knew um I was good friends with Molly's sister right so when she came back um from London uh, Molly's sister introduced us and said you guys should Figure something out together. Excellent. So when you started out, you had uh, an accountant and you had Molly as yep. potential lead generation. Yeah. Uh, was that something you 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 harnessed? Or was that something that Anique spoke to you about? Um, no, that wasn't um, something that Anique spoke to me about. Um, Anique, Anique did give me advice on the referral relationship with the accountant for sure. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I would, you know, I, I sort of figured it out. Yep, fair enough. <laughs> Desperation. Uh, and t- tell me about starting the business and the business name. Okay, so this is like, so I started the business um, with the name Flourish Private Wealth and I it took sort of 
all my guts and courage to start the business. And then the moment I opened the doors, my stepdad, who's a lawyer, called and was like, this is not unique at all. You've got a name that another financial planning business in Sydney is already using. You can't do this. Yeah. And I just like having, you know, it had taken so much courage to get to that point. And the moment I put the first thing sort of on Instagram and I was just about to go live with the website, I just fell flat on my face and I was devastated. Um, And I felt so humiliated, even though no one would have noticed, like who would have noticed? Um, But uh, so I very quickly came up with um, Flarex Wealth. It was um, kind of a on the spot decision. It's not perfect, um, but it is what it is and it's it's doing the job. So you're able to get the, the um, you, you had the URL or the, or the domain? Uh, I didn't have the URL. I just, I was looking for something that was available basically. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so yeah, it, was a, it, it wasn't, um, it wasn't a particularly clever story, <laughs> but <laughs> It's all's well that ends well, right? It's, it's, it's interesting sometimes when you have to make quick decisions. It's like, I'm just going to make a quick decision. Something's happened. I've thought about this other thing. Boom, make a change. Yeah. Run with it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So that was that. And, and, um, and they can mean a lot and they can take a lot of time. But at the end of the day, it's, it's probably you that, and the relationship that makes the difference. Well, yeah, that's it. And, and, I, and I, I, I don't love it, but it, I associate it with the whole experience but no, I, no one's ever commented on it. And, yep. um, you know, I, I don't know if anyone even, I think probably half my clients don't even know what the business is called. They probably just think Rachel's their advisor. Yep. So yeah, exactly right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So you've started the business, you've kicked off, you've got a couple of clients. Uh, yep. How did you grow up from there? And, and was it just you by yourself? Uh, yeah, for um, a while it was me by myself and um, yeah, d- did the events where I could, um, lots of coffees to try and build new, like other referral relationships as well. Yeah. Just that, just that was that, that was sort of how I worked it. Was it was the target market the same? Um, the target market started out just really vague and broad. It was kind of you know just anyone who'd work with me. Yeah, anyone can pay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, not a great strategy. Um, but as the as I started doing the stuff with Ladies Finance Club, I started to really find that that was like a real sweet spot for me and um, work I really enjoyed, um, work, that, you know, and people people wanted to work with me, um, young women wanted a finan- who wanted a financial advisor, um, wanted a young female fi- financial advisor and it, and it worked and um, so then I sort of focused a bit more on the relationships I was trying to build around that um, and, um, and so from that, I started connecting more with other female professionals, so other female accountants and estate planners and financial advisors and things like that who their client bases tended to be women as well and they were often looking for a female advisor and um, I kind of, yeah, it sort of happened fairly quickly but um, it, it, it became clear that that was, um, that was who I was attracting and that was who I was working well with. So, yep. yeah. And, and when, you, uh, when you kicked that off, you did those presentations. Yeah. Was there any set thing about you presenting on, or were you like, did you did you know what you were wanted to talk about, or? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like I put hours into the presentations. Yep. Yeah. Like I created a whole slide deck on Canva. I spent because I had no clients, so I had yep. all this time. Um. So yeah, I yeah I made this basically crash course in investing, and it was about a forty five minute presentation, and um, 
yeah, would, would sort of run through it. So a lot of foundations of investing. Yeah, yeah, yep. exactly. What's an asset class? What's a risk profile? Um, what's diversification? Really simple stuff. So you could open open your, um, your, your CFP books and go yep. 101. You didn't even need to do that. You could pretty much Google it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, and just, uh, again, it's all about building relationships at that point. Yeah. Um, so tell us about the growth of your business over that time. Yep. Um, so probably like a lot of businesses, it started really slowly. It took me sort of six months to get my first couple of clients and that was um, pretty nerve-wracking. Um, and then by the end of the first year, I think I had about 17 or 18 clients. Um, by the end of the second, I think I had about, 40-odd. Yeah, the classic apprenticeship stage, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It just started to – and once you've got a few clients, then you've got more um, people who know you and who are talking about you, and so it starts to it starts to come together. I think about that um, – uh, I think it's in Atomic Habits, the valley of disappointment, you know, in like the compound interest curve. Yep. The yep. gap between expectation and reality, yes, yes. that valley yeah. of disappointment where you think it's not working, but yep. if you hang on, yep. you're, you're just it's just around the corner that the, that it starts to kick off. Yes. That was those, yeah. Yes. I mean, actually in the middle of, um, I just started Atomic Habits. Um, it was quite, good, quite a good book. Yeah. Um, t- t- tell, tell me about that that process then. Well, getting through that first six months, you had a bit of time. Were you, did you set up all of your um, – uh, the, the advice offerings that you have now, did you set that up then or was that something you brought in? No, on? no, that's something that evolved. Yep. Um, so I started out, um, you know, I just worked out like it was just a trial and error process. I'd come from a firm where the client base was um, retirees and the advice was um, you know, really based around super and investments and, and fairly large sums of money. Um, and then I was working with um, – you know, more like younger professionals or um, women who uh, didn't have quite the same, necessarily the same amount of wealth to manage. Um, and so I had to figure out how, you know, what was adding value and what wasn't and how to present the information and how to serve, um, you know, how to provide the advice basically yep. um, when it wasn't sort of a traditional retired wealthy person yep you know what I mean yep with the uh, the bread and butter yeah uh, exactly for a lot of financial planners yeah T- tell me about then so so where you are now um tell us about what this evolved into tell us about your 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 offering now to your new clients that come in yep so we basically um we work out with the client um what their you know which kind of path they should go on um one focuses first on um cash flow and so for um clients who might come along and say, I'm making really good money, but I never seem to have anything to show for it. We'd probably start with um, uh, like quite a deep dive on cash flow, setting up a budgeting system, making sure they've got the right bank accounts, um, giving them a structure for managing their money. And then um, we, depending on the circumstances, we'd probably also at that stage do insurance and super. Um, and then it might be a sort of more of a, a coaching program that we help clients go through to save the money that then needs to be the beginning of their investment portfolio. Yep. Um, and then kind of it becomes a more um, typical kind of advice relationship from that point onwards. Yeah, I was going to ask you about the word coaching because um, you, you, you do a lot of conversation around financial well-being and coaching. Yeah. Uh, yep. What does that mean for you? 
I think that where I what I see that as meaning is more around um, holding people accountable, um, helping them set their own goals, and then actually, yeah, keeping up with those goals and creating a framework where I can help them to see whether they're on or off track. Um, they know whether they're on or off track, and sort of taking those kind of five year goals and working backwards to say, well, if that's the five year plan, what do I need to do today? What's the one thing I can focus on today or this week that's going to make that um, a more achievable um, or is going to keep me on that path? Yep. Um, and that that I see, I don't know if that's the right terminology, but I see that as more of coaching than advice. It's not necessarily got anything to do with products. Um, it's more about, and I don't necessarily recommend you open this bank account over that bank account. In fact, I rarely recommend that. I'm just like, you need, you need this many bank accounts for this strategy and where you get them is up to you. Just, yep. yeah. So that, that's where I could consider the coaching element of it. Yeah. Nice. And so you mentioned three areas. So you got cash flow spending plan as sort of one channel. Yeah. So that would be for those, yeah, yep. for, for that group. Um, then another common first conversation is, um, I've got a few options and I don't know what to do. I don't know if I'll ever be able to afford a house in Sydney. Should I buy an investment property instead um, or should I keep pursuing that goal or and then in you know all the all the other different competing goals or forks in the road that people have um, and what we'll then focus on for those clients first is modeling um, and different scenarios and so show will help them to visualize the impact of different, pathways that they might choose to go down and it's not so much about me saying you should do this or that but as a as a, about helping them to see the longer term implications of their decisions so if you do decide to take option a will you still be able to do these other things that are also really important to you um, and so then we'll start with um, I call it a strategy paper where we might look at three or five scenarios show them the different outcomes of those they might then say actually I like a bit of that one and a bit of that one can you show me what that looks like and we'll, we'll do another one and then once they're confident that once we're both confident that we know what the big picture is then we can get into the specifics of you should invest in this or you should put this much money into super or you should whatever yeah that scenario planning is, a, is really powerful isn't it from from a from the point of view of you you, you walk into a scenario planning session not knowing so yeah. there's, there's an element of like confusion or you just don't know. And then you walk out of a, a planning session going, wow, I've got this direction. I know what, I know what's possible. I know what's, you know, t I can do. And, and all of a sudden you, you're in a, in such a powerful position or place. The client's in such a powerful position to be able to make some decisions. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's, it's so hard to like, and even with like my experience and what we do, like I can't visualize whether I can't do it in my head whether if they do X, Y, Z, they're still going to be able to do ABC in 20 years. I don't know until we start playing with the numbers. And then we can also have like a more, like a broader conversation about the other pros and cons. So it might be that this option is going to make you the most money, but you're going to have to work twice as hard as this option and you you might have a better lifestyle in this one or this might be way, way more money, but it's the riskiest or it's the least flexible. And, and we can start to have those other conversations about whether, whether, this picture lines up with your values and all of that sort of thing. So yeah, lots of risks and trade-offs conversations. Yeah. Do you do you talk to them about their values? Do you do any of that conversations around what their values might be? Or not really. I'd like to do that better. That's something I, I think I'd, I would be good to weave in a bit more. Like we have the conversation more so about the 
the scenario might be like, okay, well, this is you working at the current rate or this is you working if you were to increase to like 120%. Is that okay with you? But it's not actually really specifically what are your values. So that's, yeah, that's something I could yep, definitely nice. do better. Excellent. That's a, that's a really powerful um, uh, stream, let's call it, of what you offer. Yeah. What's the third one? And then the third one is I think I'm doing – this is the conversation. I think everything's on track but I need – to, I just want that reassurance and I need an extra pair of eyes or it's gotten more complicated for me or I'm not giving it the time it deserves. And that would be, that's your more kind of traditional, simple um, advice process. We might do one or two modelings like current and proposed, um, but that would be a client that knows kind of where their money's coming from, where it's going. They know what they're trying to achieve and it's just about making sure that they're doing all of the things they can do to get there. And so that's the sort of the the easy one. Yeah. Well, yeah. what I love about those three streams is it's got nothing to do with products or what you do. It's got everything to do with what's going on, the conversation that the client's having in their own mind. Yeah. Yeah. And and they're the they're they're most of the first most of the initial like that first phone call where you say what what are you looking for? Most clients will identify themselves as being one, two, or three in the first thirty seconds. Yep. Uh, they'll identify themselves. You'll notice that. Do you say straight away, or do you just? Um, I don't. I don't say to them, "You're package A, you're package B." Yeah. I just know from the conversation. That I think this is probably going to be um, what's going to deliver the most value, and and I'll talk them through that. I'll talk them through what the other options are as well. Sometimes we'll do cash flow first, and then scenarios, and then advice. I was just um, thinking they all work really well together as a as a. Con, you know, continuance. Yeah, yeah, but not everyone, not everyone needs you to start at the beginning with cash flow. Like you're gonna, you're gonna waste some people's time with that if they already know they they, they don't want to spend that time. Or likewise, you can do a lot of time, put a lot of time into modelling. If someone knows what they want to achieve, it may not necessarily be the best use of your time. Yep, and uh, and I guess could they pick and choose? They have a bit of a, a little bit of column A, a little bit, a little bit of column B. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it might be at a review that will say, "You you told me that you were spending X, and you were really confident of that, but you don't have this amount of savings. So, do you want to do a cash flow session? Should you should we make that more of a focus now? Um, or they might be a year or two in, and all that modelling we did goes out the window because something happens and you start again. Yeah. Now you mentioned sort of a triage call or a conversation to start with. What yep. What is your standard process if, if if I was to come in as a new client? Um, so I would receive an email from you or intro to you from um, somewhere, and I would get on the organise a, a first phone call, like. Um, 15 minutes, I try to keep it to 15 minutes, tends to go over. Um, but that would be where I'm going to explain um, or find out about your situation, whether I think I can help. Um, if I don't think I can help, then I'll let you know at that stage. Um, I explain what the sort of what the fees are at that point and say, would you like to book a first session? Um, and then that, that session's complimentary. I, we go through kind of um, goals and a uh, map out the current situation and then from there I'll put together a proposal outlining um, this is my understanding of your situation, this is my understanding of what you'd like to achieve, this is the advice I think you need, this is what I'm going to charge and then at that point it, usually what I'm going to charge is confirming what we've already previously discussed um, and then at that point they say whether they'd like to go ahead or not. Yep. So they enter that first discovery meeting. Do you call it – what do you call it? I call it a startup session. But startup session. I love it. Um, so you, they enter that knowing what the pricing is. Yeah. I, I used to – because the, the pricing isn't set and it's based on how complicated I think things are going to be. 
So I used to save that conversation until after we'd done that first meeting. But then a lot of, you know, there's a lot of people that can't afford financial advice, unfortunately. Um, and there's a lot of people that can't afford it, but just won't pay for it. Um, so it's better, I felt, I found after a, a little while, it's better to set that expectation up front. Most people won't then come to the first session if they've got no intention of going ahead. So you can save a bit of time. Do you find probably also coming from an, the accounting um, background that uh, when it comes to looking at what you charge versus the client's better position, it's is it generally always financial, or is do you do you consider things like um you know the 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 confidence you you get from being unsure to becoming confident, or like the intangibles? I I do try to factor that in a bit. Like, uh, yeah, I, I try to I try to factor that in. I try not to exclude people just because you don't have enough, you know, X amount of money or income or something like that. Because if someone's t- telling you that they really need help and they're prepared to pay for it, like, and 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 you know you can help if you if you get you know this might be someone with no money because they can't manage their cash flow, you know you can help and you can change the course you know, of their lives by yep. doing so and they want to do that, yep. then, yeah, so, yeah, I guess I do I do try to factor that. I do try to consider that, yeah. Changing the pathway or the course of someone's life is, is such a huge, you know, benefit of financial advice and, and just to calculate it out in one year or one short-term time yeah. period is, um, is uh, very uh, hard to do or hard to get across the actual benefit over the long term. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So you, so you go through those um, – so you go through that startup session. Yeah, you've then told them what your your fees are. Then, uh, but sometimes you're not you're not giving advice straight away. As you mentioned, you're giving a cash flow or, or, or coaching services. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So um, basically, um, the client will uh, go onto a monthly retainer. Um, the the fee structure is a monthly retainer, and so after signing the advice proposal, um, they uh, start the direct debit straight away. We don't wait until the advice is presented or anything like that. We start working on things in the most logical order and um, following those different pathways we talked about. Um, and then it might be um, a few months into the relationship before they actually get a statement of advice. I guess that allows you not to have to rush the advice. Yeah. Like you can't necessarily work out what is the right investment strategy for someone if you don't know what they're trying to achieve when they're planning to pull that money out. Um, or if you don't know how much they can contribute to that, like what is the right product for someone who's going to start with a big pool of money and add nothing to it would be completely different to someone who's going to start small and build it up quickly. And so you can't, I, I find that I can't jump to the SOA until I've actually done the first steps because and apart from those rare, really straightforward cases, which are not the not the majority, um, so yeah, that, that's, that's how that ends up happening and it does, t- it does take a few months, but I don't think clients aren't coming to a financial advisor for a statement of advice. Yeah, yeah, I've spoken to a lot of people lately that are saying it takes three, four, yeah, up to five, six months before yep. they actually present an advice uh, advice piece, which is which is amazing. Um, and you also mentioned uh, uh, habits earlier, mm. um, and you sort of can't really get to know a client's habits unless you know you've spent some time with them or you really look back at their finances over a period of time. Yeah, yeah. Understand their spending habits and their and their what they're likely to do in, in the uh, in you know in a down market or whether it might yeah. be you know have they switched to cash at the wrong time in the past all those sorts of things yeah yeah that's all that's all um, yeah really valuable and will definitely dictate kind of what what should be recommended yeah and so when you're doing um, that cash flow 
coaching, yep. um, getting people on track, understanding what they're spending. Do you have any particular um, systems that you use? Um, it's it's pretty basic. I use uh, the ASIC Money Smart budget spreadsheet to yep. calculate essentials. Yep. Um, it's it's a, a method which I've um, picked up from Elevest, which is a US um, robo-investor for women. Yep. Um, and they have spoken in a few of their blogs about this one number method where you basically help you, – you, you figure out how much needs to go to essentials, how much needs to go to different goals, and then you've got one number left. And that one number is your number for the week or the month, whatever, however you manage – whatever time frame you use to manage your money – and then if you automate it all, then you don't have to think about all the other stuff. You just have to remember if I don't spend more than $500 a week on fun stuff, stuff I don't necessarily need, then everything else will take care of itself. And yep. if you've set up the automation, which is what we then make sure happens. So an automation, pay yourself first? Yeah. Yeah. And so the direct the transfers out of your bank account before you get the opportunity to spend the money. Excellent. First, pay yourself first, then the automation of, of uh, fixed fixed expenses yep. that we've you've done a fairly good budget on and you yep. can understand what it's going to be, yep. uh, give or take, yep. and then that one number per week to… To stick to. To fund. Yeah, and they and, and, that, and never having more than that amount of money in on the card that is your fund money card. Um, so that uh, then if you're midway through the week and you check your banking app, you know exactly where you're at. Yep, and that's the key. Just yeah. Focus on that one thing. And that's the one thing you need to worry about. Yep. Everything else, if we've, if we, if you implement the strategy, then everything else is taking care of itself. Yep. It's set, but not forget, but set. Yeah. 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 You just, you just remember that one thing. Fantastic. And that's yep. different for every person and different, and the time frame is different. Could be weekly or daily or. Yep. 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 Exactly. So, yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's interesting. I was talking to somebody the other day who said that they talk, talk to the clients about daily spend. Yeah. Just okay. To, just all daily saying like, just to understand because they, they can relate to those those transactions more so than larger numbers. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, yeah. I, I think that that makes a lot of sense. I like to get it down to a week because it's very easy to, you know, a month's way too long for your fund money account, I think. Yeah. It's too long for me. Yeah. It's, peak numbers are hard to calculate in here, don't they, when it comes to, for most people? Yeah. It, I always say that with politicians. I reckon they should start, stop talking in billions and tell, what, tell everybody what that means to the individual person each week. That's a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> you go, wait, I'm spending that much? Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Oh, no, Does I don't that do that. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, excellent. So, that's the, the, the cash flow spending. Now, you mentioned that – so, does everyone go on the same – um, monthly amount or you've got a different? No, a different amount. So, um, it and it, it does depend a bit on that initial phone call and then that first session as to whether there's a lot of, you know, more or less complexity. So, things that um, might make me uh, charge more would be, so I'll charge more for a couple than an individual, um, you know, multiple super funds, a direct equity portfolio, um, multiple insurance products, you know, basically those things, SMSFs, trusts, um, businesses but being self-employed, these are kind of the things that I'll look out for that will make it harder for me to um, or make the advice more complicated or the process longer yep. um, and I'll try to factor that in. Yeah, because it's interesting though, the more complex, the more liability you have as well. Yeah, yeah, your ability to yeah make a costly mistake goes correct up. correct yeah. um so then um so if you, if you if you look at that that you've just got a range you charge monthly yeah yeah exactly so um the minimum is 550 a month which works out at 6600 um and it goes up from there yep yeah and uh, and then when you do a piece of advice are you charging for that advice or is that no included? that's part of the 
annual um, arrangement is we'll deliver the will you've got the problem we'll try to solve it yep. in the next 12 months or we'll do what we can in the next 12 months yep. and that might involve a statement of advice it might involve two it might involve yep. an ROA you know that that's not what they're buying yep and then it could be that you do a few different pieces of advice throughout the year rather than try and solve everything today yeah exactly yeah now talk to me about how this works on 12 month service agreements because of the timing if we're not giving the advice till a few months in yeah, so that's that's really clunky um, and awkward, and it's not. That's one thing that's really not working. So, the client will agree um, upfront from that advice proposal or engagement agreement to pay a monthly retainer, and then once their SOA is delivered, they'll then go on an ongoing service agreement, which will be for the same amount and the same monthly payment. The difference between those two documents confuses clients. Um, and the other problem is that it resets the 12 months from the date that the SOA is delivered, but often it can take us months to get to that point of delivering the SOA. And so then we have this conversation with clients where they're like, why am I signing for 12 months if I signed up five months ago and we I didn't you say this was a 12-month agreement? And I'm like, yes, it is, but um, I still, yeah, so it's that's one thing that's not working and that's one that's one thing that I, I, I it seems like a really simple thing to me but it's really I can't quite get it all to joke. <laughs> <laughs> it is it is it is uh, one of those consequences of uh, you know when legislation has moved through pretty quickly and that sounds like a great idea let's put that in place yeah yeah and it's fine for it's fine for the clients that are intending to be there for the for the long term and I've got lots of clients that will probably roll their uh, their annual agreements indefinitely and you know, and that's fine, but there are definitely some clients because um, a lot of my clients are younger um, where they do only feel like they're – and part of what I'm offering them is let's work together for 12 months. I'll teach you how to – I'll help you put in place a structure and a system that you can probably then manage yourself for a few years and you come back when your life changes. Yep. Um, and so it doesn't work for them. So how often are you seeing clients on the way through that first sort of – I mean, if, if you've seen them a few times, getting them their structure and their accountability done and their budget yep. and their cash flow and their foundations. Yeah. Uh, let's say you do a foundation SOA and you're looking after their, their risk and super and then you move on to some, you know, in six months' time when they've got more to invest, you want to do some investment. How many times have you seen them throughout the year? Um, including the startup session, I probably do three or four meetings in the first six months and then after that it's um, six-monthly review cycle. Okay, so it's quite a, quite high touch. Yeah, yeah, and, and but it does ease off. And I warn clients, I'm like, it's going to be. There's a bit involved in the first six months, it, yep. you know, but but it'll it'll ease off and it'll it'll become easier to manage once we get this, yep. this first bit out of the way. How are you holding them accountable for those cash flow conversations throughout the year? Um, we it'll be the sort of the first thing we discuss at each of those meetings. So we'll um, you know we'll we'll do cash flow first, and then it'll be the first thing we discuss in those in those meetings in the first six months. And then we'll go to the um, six monthly review, and hopefully by that stage they've given the system enough of a go that they're kind of they know what to do and they're doing it. They're not all doing it, but um, they're at least trying. And then for some clients, we'll will say like, uh, you know, after the first six months um, or the second six-month review, we might say, you know, is this is this working? Do we need to put a bit more time into this? Um, and for some clients where they're like, yeah, no, can we make this quarterly? Then I'll adjust the fee to match. Yep. How do you go with asking those clients and at what point for referrals or for recommendations or for a, I'm terrible a review? Yeah. <laughs> I'm terrible at that. I've got, yeah, I'm, I'm terrible at that. I've never asked for a referral. Um, I've got no Google reviews. I need to pull my finger out. 
Yeah, I've heard, I've heard some really good success stories with Google reviews and, and businesses yeah. having a process in place to to ask for a review and then if it's a great review, asking them to fill out a, a Google review. Yeah, um, yeah. How, uh, tell us about the future. What does the, the future hold? You know, we've been through all the stuff you've, you've created over the last, you know, few years. Yep. Uh, what are you working on now? I've got a team member working with me, Anita, and she is currently practice manager and she will start as an advisor in February. And so um, number one is… Professional year. Uh, no, she's already oh, she's okay. already done the professional year. Okay, so great. no, yeah, 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 thank God. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so basically the the big plans right now is hire a practice manager or CSM to fill her role so that she can focus on being an advisor and then find the clients to sustain two advisors. Yes, that's yeah. the next thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, take on a person and then grow and take on a person. Yeah. Um, so you you've got. Uh, Two staff now. Oh, sorry, one staff member. You and one I've staff got, member. Um, I've got one um, employee. I've got uh, two um, contractors working with me as well um, from uh, – they're based in India. Yep. And um, one's full-time, one's part-time. And I outsource power planning. Yeah. So what are they doing in India? What part of the business um, are they They're with? doing um, admin and ROAs. Nice. Okay. Yep. And then a power planner outsourced. And then power planner, outsource power planner for like the initial SOAs. Fantastic. So a lot of growth, obviously, in that short space of time. Yeah. 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 It's been. It's been. Um, yeah. It's been pretty busy. Yeah. And so, if we're sitting here in twelve months, what uh, what have you done in the next twelve months that uh, you're really proud of? Uh, in the next twelve months, what'll I be really proud of? I'm I'm going to try and get back to working four days a week. Yeah. Nice. Um. So I I started the business with this idea of it being supportive of my lifestyle and um it hasn't worked out that way so far yet yet exactly and yep. so 12 months from now i'd like to be able to say that it's better aligned with my my values and my lifestyle wonderful excellent so a lot to a lot to work on yeah uh fantastic thank you so much for coming and chatting to us about your journey um it's been a couple of years and i we look forward to you know chatting to you in a couple more years and, and seeing how it's all uh, evolved now we've found out that you're going to be moving out of four days a week <laughs> uh, it's going to happen we're going to make it happen i hope so um uh, if someone wanted to continue the conversation with you what's the best way for them to get hold of you um probably my website is uh the best way if you can find it yeah <laughs> um it's um www Flurix, so F-L-O-U-R-I-X dot com dot A-U. Flurix dot com, not Flurix Wealth, just Flurix. No, just Flurix dot com dot A-U. Com dot A-U. Yeah. Wonderful. Uh, Rachel, or LinkedIn. Th- th- yeah, or LinkedIn, of course. Yeah. Thank you so much for catching up. Uh, we wish you all the best in the future. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Mm-hmm.